Welcome to the Shield Your Business from Chaos podcast, where there's no building, no people, no third-party suppliers, and no systems all combined to create Chaos the Dragon, which is battled by King Phoenix and his shield. Hi, welcome to Kingsbridge BCP. I'm Roswita Firth. And today I'll be hosting our guest, Donna Hall, and we'll be talking about single points of failure. Before we get started, I wanted to say a few words about our sponsor. Kingsbridge BCP has been in business since 1983, providing business continuity software and consulting services to all industries, companies large and small. Um, if you uh, are joining us for the first time, thank you for, for listening and for watching. You can find our podcast wherever you watch or listen to podcasts, including YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. So like and find us on social media. We post a new episode every two weeks. Uh, we are in our second year, and I'm really grateful to be doing this with Kingsbridge. It's a lot of fun. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Today, we're happy to welcome Donna Hall. Uh, Donna and I worked together uh, twice, actually, at different points in our careers. Donna has over 20 years of experience in business continuity and disaster recovery, primarily working uh, in financial services, but also in supporting energy companies. So welcome, Donna. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Rosalita. It's great to see you. It is great to see you. It has been far too long. Um, and uh, so today we are going to talk about single points of failure for our audience. The way that I tend to do this is when I think of somebody who would make an interesting guest, I approach them first to see if they're interested, of course, and then we get to talking about topics. And one of the things that I like to do is find out whether this person has either a big passion project of some sort within the BCP DR risk space or possibly a pet peeve. This is what we as an industry get wrong. This is what companies who invest in business continuity get wrong typically. And we're talking about people that I've I've had as guests on the podcast typically you know, at least 15 years experience, if not 2025. 20, so in talking to Donna about possible topics, we identified a pet peeve of Donna's. And that's how we came to wanting to talk about single points of failure. So yes, indeed. <laughs> and I think that um, you're not the only one who has this pet peeve. So uh, that's nice to know. <laughs> Yeah, yes, it is. And it's unfortunate. So hopefully our yes. audience today will find something to relate to, something relevant, something interesting, and um, some takeaways to, to think about in their planning purposes. Absolutely. So we've got lots of different types of single points of failure. Um, certainly there are single points of failure when it comes to staff and as well as technology, things like a particular application or a particular uh, standalone server. So um, let's start talking about people. Well, that sounds great. A good starting point because that out of all the other single points of failure, in my opinion, mm -hmm. is probably the most important. 
reason being, you can have the most wonderful business continuity plan. And if you don't have people to execute, your plan's worthless. Um, I do recall a situation where we were appealing to our uh, employees at a company where I worked and our byline was help us help you, meaning you are very important in the execution of our business continuity plan. We were appealing to our significant employees who would be executing our plan to prepare at home for their families and their homes. Um, the company that I was with at that time was very helpful in wanting to provide um, it, all the uh, all the things to go into, like um, if they needed plywood in the, on their home, mm -hmm. if they needed to have a generator, mm -hmm. um, if their family needed to be moved away. Right. Because at the time in Houston, Houston is a big bullseye for hurricanes. Right. So uh, that was one of the most important things I feel in preparation for any kind of business interruption. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think for the most part, the employees who were engaged and had uh, responsibility for executing the business continuity plan got on board, they realized very quickly. The thing I am most heartened about with that company was they recognized that single point of failure early on. They were very engaged in the entire process. And this was from the very bottom all the way to the executive suite, everyone was very organized and engaged. Sure, great. So you're talking there about thinking of your people as a single point of failure. Let's, and and I I, I was there with, for what you're speaking of, and I, I absolutely agree with your assessment of it. I've seen similar things at other companies where there were key technology people, for example, required with specific knowledge to bring up certain systems um, where the company was was pretty proactive in helping employees out, making sure that they had the time off to put plywood on their windows and, and sort of make sure that they had the support that they needed. But let's talk about a true single point of failure in the sense of you've got that one person that one person who's been around since three mergers ago, who still supports an application of some sort of legacy system. They never go on vacation. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, what happens when they retire, but in the short term, uh, what happens when you've got an incident and what if they're not available? Uh, more the question is sort of, making sure that we don't have that kind of thing happen. But I'm sure you've seen that. I've seen that where um, companies sort of think, well, you know, we've got somebody to support them now if they happen to be sick for a day, but but a day is not a week or a month. It's a big risk. Exactly. Exactly. The most 
important thing is as you're going through and building your plan, when you see these particular instances of all of that knowledge concentrated in one, one person's brain <laughs> is to make a plan on what you can do to mitigate that. And certainly that would call for someone training under that person and becoming very familiar or having that person write down in detail, document everything necessary so that they no longer are a single point of failure. Mm -hmm. I think quite often uh, some businesses don't recognize the importance of that exercise in documenting mm -hmm. what needs to be done or cross-training. Um, it seems particularly since COVID that um, a lot of companies don't have or they think they don't have the manpower to do that cross-training that's necessary. Um, the people and the companies that have been through disaster recovery in the past certainly have the experience in having to, you know, quickly um, punt the ball or get someone else involved. And that is going to be a, a sort of a rocky road, or that is it can be during that business continuity exercise or, you know, when they're trying to put that into effect. You know, and I think COVID had both a good and a bad impact about certain things related to staffing, um, employee knowledge and whatnot, because, you know, in a lot of places there, there was a lot of turnover. And so in some cases, institutional knowledge gets lost. Um, I think also though, there's a risk because people are much more comfortable working remotely that if things kept running, when person A was out sick or person B took vacation, well, maybe that system didn't break that day. So I think in some cases, there's a bit of a risk that, oh, well, we did okay. So that means we're going to be okay. And Complacent. Complacent. In a bit, right? Because the companies that didn't have sort of giant disasters when they tried to go remote, the, the companies that sort of did okay, they might be in a place of thinking, well, you know, we lost 15% of our staff. We had people out. We we sort of got through all of this. And well, that application never went down. You know, we were, we were, we were okay. So why would we invest money in fixing this problem that doesn't look like a problem at this point? But I think something to to think about is that well, the application didn't break that day. That doesn't mean it's not going to have an issue. Um, on another day, and if you have that person, that single person with that knowledge of supporting a system, for example, um, eventually something's going to break or or that person could leave. So your point about training and documenting is, is really important. And of course, it's hard to get eyes and time and money on that task when it's not considered critical. Well, one way that I would recommend that could be utilized to surface 
these difficulties or problems is to exercise right. a disaster where, uh, you know, in the exercise, it's written that this particular person mm -hmm. is not available. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you have to get the business up and running. What are your plans? Couple of things. Most of the time during the exercises where you're practicing your plan, you have uh, people in the upper ranks there as well. Quite often, your company will have internal auditors and perhaps external auditors. And the, the helpful thing about that is that they will also underscore and highlight the importance of what needs to be done to bolster your plan and get some cross-training in there. Um, I view that as, as something very positive. If you have a situation that needs to be highlighted, that would be a good way to do it. You know, and you bring up a good point about exercising, um, because I think especially if someone's business continuity management program isn't really very mature yet, your exercise might be sort of more general. And we're going to focus on the scenario, whether that's cyber or a hurricane, for example, but not necessarily go to the level of thinking about well, what if these specific people aren't available now? If it's your first exercise, that might be a bit of a challenge to sell. Um, but I think once you've got an exercise or two under your company's belt, going to that next level and saying, okay, this resource or these resources are not going to be available at all during this exercise. We've got to proceed without their knowledge, I think is a, a really valuable step if you can accomplish that. Agreed. Thank you. So... Um, <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about IT single points of failure. And I, I don't want to go into a very technical discussion. We're not talking about specific types of technologies. Um, we're not even talking about anything. The, 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 the type of technology isn't really important to the discussion. It's the how do you manage, um, and I'll use, I will use an example, for example, um, of a legacy accounting software, let's say, that sits on a desktop in a closet on in the accounting department, sort of ignored and runs by itself. What do you do with that in your business continuity planning? You know, the company says, well, we're not going to spend money to do anything about it because it's going to get upgraded in 2025 when we do all this other stuff that we're doing. What do you do in the meantime? My suggestion is you make it a very primary point for that single point of failure. Again, um, it's, it's quite often those little things like you just described that is going to turn around and bite a company. <laughs> and even though it seems to be very insignificant, we, it's old, we're going to replace it. A lot can happen between now and the point in time where you do replace it. So that, again, is, is a very 
important single point of failure that a lot of people may not recognize. Mm -hmm. I would, as we mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, approach it with that being in an exercise uh, to highlight the, the possibility mm -hmm. of either the person who has the knowledge about that legacy system uh, or the legacy system itself failing. It's, that can bring a company to its knees, believe it or not, if you don't have a plan or a workaround mm -hmm. for that particular um, application or whatever it may be. It's, and, go ahead. I was going to say, and, and obviously, if it's a system that's got consequences in terms of regulatory requirements, that's, in a sense, a very easy fix. Because right there, you have sort of what you need to go take and get the money to go fix the problem and not wait. But exactly, there are a lot of things that are still important, but don't necessarily have, they, they don't necessarily come with a, here's a, here's a requirement we need to meet um, that you can just sort of hand off and say, see, we have to do this. Um, that doesn't always exist. So we're stuck sometimes trying to um, work with that. And unfortunately, a lot of times what you hear from people within the business and sometimes from management can be something along the lines of, oh, well, that's really only critical on the you know third Tuesday of every fourth month in a leap year. <laughs> <We'll say hey."> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, and and the, the sad truth is, is that incidents occur more and more frequently and um, you can't guarantee that you're not going to have an incident at that point. And a great persuasion in doing <laughs> something about it, as you just mentioned, was regulatory fines and things of that nature. Um, and even if it does only happen on the third Thursday of every quarter on a leap year, that impact, that financial impact can be tremendous to a company. It is a matter of the people who are, are um, driving the business continuity plan mm -hmm. to begin to seek out those little single points of failure, do the background and do the accounting and find out what the regulations are and to document all those things and escalate to the point where, where a good decision can be made to mitigate that. Well, and you mentioned earlier um, something about audit, and that's actually a nice little weapon that you can carry with you to get things done. Um, right which uh, if you've been doing business continuity for any length of time, you're probably sitting here nodding your head in agreement. But if you're relatively new, um, put that in your back pocket because that can be a big help in terms of getting attention on something and getting money that, if, if money can fix the problem, that's a nice way to do it is to, um, if that's brought to attention in an internal audit, uh, particularly in an external audit, that can really help solve some of those single points of failure, especially when, if it's a problem money can fix, like fixing a, a single point of failure legacy software 
or in some cases, even a, a resource when you only have one person supporting something. Exactly. And uh, as we both know from experience, you want to capture and you want to fix the things that come up as weaknesses or failures in an internal audit before, before it gets to an external audit because future business for that company uh, and, and reports that come out of an, an external audit could really impact the business negatively and you don't want to do that. that so is there's, a, <laughs> there's a really good leverage with the internal audit. There is. And that actually turns out that that is a great place to end today's podcast because we will be talking um, about audit in an upcoming ex uh, episode. So check back soon for that. Donna, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a real pleasure to talk with you. And um, I hope our audience has enjoyed this perspective on single points of failure. If you're interested in uh, talking to us, you can find me on uh, LinkedIn or through Kingsbridge BCP. And I don't know, Donna, if you're um, approachable on LinkedIn or not, um, but uh, I am. you are great, um, Donna Hall. And again, thank you so much for joining me today. Really enjoyed having you. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it as well. All right. And thank you, Kingsbridge BCP, for hosting this podcast. Find us wherever you listen to your podcasts and uh, like us on social media. Thanks. Have a great day.